0: So the, the passage today is Galatians 1, 1 to 5. But really, this is just going to be a bit more of an introduction to our time in Galatians. We'll spend the, the last little bit of our time today looking at the passage, um, the, the start of Galatians. Um, Well, really, this sermon today will be more of an introduction, kind of setting the scene for the letter of Galatians, a little bit like a movie preview, I suppose, if you think of Galatians like a movie, and this is going to be kind of the trailer, um, just setting the scene. Uh, On this exact day, so the 31st of October, Halloween or All Hallows' Eve, uh, 504 years ago, one of the most explosive events in really human history, certainly in the history of the church, happened. Does anyone know what happened on, on this day, 504 years ago? I can't tell through the masks. It, it was Martin Luther, the German monk turned reformer, publishing his 95 theses. Um, an explosive event. His 95 Theses were basically him detailing all of the issues that he had with the Catholic Church at the time, recovering a lot of the doctrines that we hold dearly today that that had been uh, lost. And Luther published his 95 Theses and this event, alongside with other significant um, people and events. So this was not uh, the only thing, but certainly it was very significant. It really catapulted the Protestant Reformation, the the 16th century movement that liberated um, uh, the Protestant church, which was only just becoming birthed, from the the Roman Catholic church. And it recovered um, many of the beautiful doctrines which we hold dear today and which we will see very clearly in the letter to the Galatians. Some of you may know Um, Or this may be news, but in in the early 1500s, Martin Luther, uh, every young man at that stage, was a terrified monk. He was a monk. He was um, absolutely petrified of this holy God. So he rightly saw God as a holy God who um, could not uh, take sin near him. But Luther had misunderstood God's justice and how it related to our salvation. So he lived basically in terror of this God who knew everything about him and knew all of his sins and who would punish him for all of those sins. And Luther was just wrapped with guilt, which could not be taken away through confession or sacrifice or or penance. Um, Speaking of this time later in his life, Luther said, I lost touch with Christ, the savior and comforter and made him the jailer and hangman of my poor soul things changed for Luther when he came across the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Uh, Justification, which is the same word for um, or it basically means being declared righteous. Justification is the the pronouncement which God gives saying, you are right. So when we think of someone being justified, it kind of carries the idea of they were right. So, So if you feel justified, it's because you're sort of vindicated, you feel like you were right. And justification in theological terms is God saying, You are right. I'm declaring you right in my eyes. So it's not only the forgiveness of sins, but it is as though we have done everything right in the eyes of God. But in the 15th and 16th century, this was mostly understood. So justification was mostly understood as the idea that we are made righteous over a long period of time and even. Um, at the end of our life, most Christians will not actually have enough righteousness in and of themselves. So they will go into this place called purgatory, where they will eventually be purged of all of their sin and then finally be made righteous. And uh, that doesn't really fill us with any hope, does it? But Luther came to realize as he studied letters like Galatians and especially Romans, that the righteousness that Paul spoke of, the righteousness that the Bible speaks about is not simply a righteousness that we cannot attain to now, a righteousness that we wait for. It It's actually a, a righteousness that we possess by faith. We, we um, possess completely because it is imputed, which means it's accredited to our account. It's as though we are pronounced righteous. Some call it an alien righteousness because it is a righteousness that is not in and of ourselves. It is a righteousness of God that is then given to us. So God gives, in a sense, his righteousness in Christ and imputes it to us and declares, you are right. You are clean in my sight. So you have my pleasure upon you. That is the, the... sense of justification that we have. And the the righteousness of God is seen in Christ. And when Luther understood this, when Luther came across this idea, the guilt that he had felt was removed. Uh, There was nothing that he could do to be righteous before God, no matter how much confession he did. When he came across this doctrine, that it, it is by faith in Jesus And he is declared righteous and the guilt was removed. And Luther then said of this moment, when I discovered that I was born again of the Holy Ghost and the doors of paradise swung open and I walked through. The terrified guilt-ridden monk was set free as he realized that it was only in hearing and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ that our sins could be forgiven. Not only that, but we could actually be pronounced right in the eyes of God. Now, 200 years after Luther's transformation, there was another extremely significant conversion which came about through the letter to the Galatians, or actually, really through Luther's commentary on Galatians. And um, in the 18th century, Charles Wesley who most people would know is arguably one of the most influential hymn writers of all time. He was in a group of men who had committed to regular spiritual disciplines as they pursued holy lives. So they would meet four times a week to uh, pray together, to read together, to feed the poor, to fast They were in a regular rhythm of spiritual disciplines. They were actually called the Holy Club, but that was more of a derogatory name that the people around them gave them, looking at sort of these pious people and saying uh, how they are holier than thou. It was sort of like an insult to them because they led this life of um, complete devotion to God. But the thing about this was that even though Charles Wesley and some of these men were in a, a rigorous routine of spiritual disciplines, Uh, Charles Wesley had not grasped the gospel. And he would say that he was not converted at that time. But in 1738, Wesley had an experience that would become his conversion. He read Luther's commentary on Galatians and very quickly grasped the gospel. And Charles Wesley wrote of this time, At midnight, I gave myself to Christ, assured that I was safe, Whether sleeping or waking, I had the continual experience of His power to overcome all temptation, and I confess with joy and surprise that He was able to do exceedingly abundantly for me above what I can ask or think. I now found myself at peace with God. So Charles Wesley finally had peace with God. There was no amount of rigorous spiritual disciplines that he could do to have peace with God if he had not grasped the fact that peace with God comes through being justified by faith in Christ, by the grace of God. Someone who had been living a life that many would look upon as an example of Christian holiness had not yet grasped the core of the gospel, which is a... um, a wonderful thing for us, but it's also a tremendous warning to think that there are many people who could be in a routine of Christian activity their whole lives and be unconverted. Uh, There is something so significant about grasping the simplicity of the gospel being justified by faith alone. The gospel of Jesus Christ, which we see clearly throughout Galatians, transforms dull and lifeless hearts. And I believe that it can transform our hearts. As we study this explosive letter together. So, today we will take kind of a 30,000 foot flyover of the um, situation here in Galatians, looking at the importance, some of the key issues in the letter to the Galatians looking at the background of how Paul uh, actually came across, how did these Galatian churches come about? Uh, And then finally, looking at Paul's introduction here and looking at how that particularly sets the stage for the rest of the letter. So what was the importance uh, of Galatians? What what is the importance of it for us today? Uh, The themes throughout Galatians are not simply important, just because they're in the Bible. Hopefully, we would all say that uh, whatever is in the Word of God is important for us. But even beyond that, the themes in Galatians are the difference between life and death, the, the difference between being saved and unsaved, between heaven and hell, really. As we will see throughout the letter, Paul, Paul doesn't warn the Galatians that they're just turning to something unhelpful, but might still be following Christ. Kind of like we do a lot in our day where we turn everything into a secondhand issue and we say, oh, that's just a disagreement, but you know, they're still a Christian. Uh, Paul is not saying that at all. He's saying, you Galatians are turning from the gospel. You're turning away from grace. You will be damned if you continue in this path. It's a weighty book. Uh, and we can see the importance of this for us if we look at the main issues going on in the Galatian churches and then look at how that might be relevant to our situation. So what, what are the two main issues for the Galatian churches? The, the, the first is that they had turned away from the gospel of Christ. So verse 6, Paul, after giving his introduction, just immediately says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one. He says, I marvel at you for turning away from the gospel. And this had come about because there were false teachers within um, the Galatian churches that had come about. They had actually come from Jewish Christian circles. So they were um, they were not uh, Jewish people that were anti-Jesus. They were actually Jewish people that Um, believed in Jesus as the Messiah but uh, would say that you you have to believe in Jesus as the Messiah but you also have to keep the Mosaic Covenant, you also have to keep circumcision, you also have to keep these laws. Jesus isn't abolishing everything and so they were um, very subtly saying yes it's good that you're believing in Jesus but there's more to it than that. This influenced the people who were very young Christians, to believe that their righteousness could come about through obedience to the law, that it was Jesus plus the Torah or Jesus plus circumcision. And they believed that their righteousness, that is how God would actually look upon them as right, would come about as they continued to keep the Mosaic covenant, certain elements of that, like particularly circumcision. And so Paul will say, just astonished in chapter 3 to the Galatians, having begun by the Spirit. So you know that you came to Christ because the Spirit rebirthed you. This was not a work of yourselves. And now you are trying to be perfected by the flesh. And whenever Paul uh, talks about the flesh, it is this idea of this realm of the flesh, this age of the flesh. And in this realm or age of the flesh, the law is against us in a sense because we have no spiritual empowerment to live in obedience to God's requirements for us. So the flesh is this place apart from the grace of God where we cannot, no matter how hard we try, live to please God. We just can't do it in this place of the flesh. We, we need to be reborn by the spirit Justified by faith alone in Christ, and then have this spiritual empowerment to live in obedience to God, knowing that we don't live in obedience to get His pleasure, we live in obedience because we have His pleasure, because we have forgiveness. So, Paul is saying to the Galatians, You're turning away from the gospel, you're turning back to this place of the flesh where you could never live to please God you're turning back to something. You're actually reversing the gospel. The gospel will have no benefit for you if you stay in this place where you believe that there is something else that you have to do apart from believing in Christ to earn, in a sense, God's justification, his declaration of you being righteous. So this is the first issue, turning away from the gospel. The second issue is not believing in the authority of the messenger. Really, the first two chapters will basically be Paul defending his authority as an apostle, explaining to the Galatian churches why his message is true, because it is not of himself. Look at how he opens the letter, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. The Galatians, as a result of the false teachers, began to question the authority of Paul as an Apostle. But Paul is saying, uh, I am not an Apostle on my own terms. I don't claim any authority in and of myself. My authority is from the God of heaven and earth. That's why I'm here proclaiming this message to you. But the, the false teachers of that time were able to influence the people by discrediting Paul's authority. They were able to say, well, Paul, um, you know, we know that an apostle had to have seen Jesus, had to have actually walked with Jesus, was a witness of his death and resurrection. Paul wasn't there. How could he be a, a true apostle? And they was spreading misinformation to the people and it resulted in them questioning Paul's authority. Now, Paul never wanted to have a domineering authority and come to people and say, you better accept what I say because I'm a man of authority. He never wanted people to have blind submission to him. Uh, he would never have wanted uncritical acceptance of his message. He wanted people to be good Brains, like in Acts 17, who heard what Paul said, and then they searched the scriptures to see if what he was saying was true. He didn't want people to uncritically accept his message. But the issue here for the Galatian people was that in questioning the authority of Paul, they were questioning the authority of God. That's effectively what has happened here. In questioning Paul's authority, they questioned the authority of God. It would have been totally fine for them to question Paul's authority if he was just a lunatic who came into Galatia and was trying to spread a message. But if he is indeed sent by God, then they are questioning the authority of God. So Paul is clear to say to the people, even if I preach a message, so if I preach a message that is inconsistent with the message you have first heard and which um, uh, the uh, people from the Jerusalem church have already told you about, that, that message of being justified by faith in Christ, even if I preach that message, then let me be accursed let me be damned but if if my message is true and you reject it then the curse will fall upon you so those are the two main issues the two main issues are that they were turning away from the gospel and therefore they were turning back to this place of the flesh to try and be right with God in some sort of self-driven way and they were unwilling to accept the authority of God's message through his messenger now How do we understand these issues for our context? These two issues of turning away from the gospel and not uh, trusting the authority of the message. Firstly, in turning away, uh, there is always a danger for us in turning away from the gospel, particularly for those of us who have been in church a long time, particularly for those of us who would call ourselves uh, Christians and have done so for, for a long time, There is a danger in becoming overly familiar, overly familiar with the message. And just like the example of Wesley and Luther, you can be in a routine for years and years and years of Christian activity and not be a Christian. It's a very confronting idea, but it is true. How else do we account for the fact that Jesus says many people, not just a few, but actually many in the last day will will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name? And these are clearly people that that believe that they were following Christ. And Jesus will say, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Now, sometimes for us, this comes down to having the wrong equation in your understanding of um, Christianity. This comes down to a bit of a like a mathematical equation of either addition or subtraction. Um, The main issue for the Galatian churches was that of the wrong addition. They had the wrong equation. They were adding circumcision. So it was Christ plus circumcision or Christ plus Torah observance. And likewise, our issues can come down So when we add something to the equation that we shouldn't do that. Now, I think there's a lot of examples for this, but just for today, there there are two main examples that I think would would influence us. The first wrong equation is Christ plus self. Um, Probably the the biggest danger of our society is where we, we have this understanding of Christ plus self, which is where we follow Christ so long as it is on my terms and my happiness remain central. The equation, you know, usually actually works better where it's more like self plus Christ. We follow Christ, but really we keep ourselves there. We keep our life, our hopes, our dreams. And if Jesus can make that happen, fantastic. That's an equation that works for me. But it's a wrong equation. We can't add Jesus to our existing life. We can't add Um, ourselves to him, he says it's one way or the other. You either die to yourself and follow me or you cling to your life and you lose it. Um, This is very common in the prosperity gospel where um, you add Jesus to your life because he will make you healthy, wealthy and happy. You can live your your, your best life now. Um, Often I think this actually, this Wrong equation of addition results in a subtraction that shouldn't be there. And the subtraction is because when you are following a Christ plus self false gospel, you end up subtracting anything from the word of God that um, basically grates against you. You subtract things like the cost of discipleship. You subtract things that just don't appeal to you at that time because Christianity is about you and, and your hopes, now, uh, that's that's one example. Uh, another example on the other end of the spectrum, which I'm sure um, a lot of us can relate to, is the false equation of Christ plus spiritual prowess. This is usually for those more along the lines of your Wesleys and your Luthers. Certainly, I feel like I... Um, need to be very careful of this, where you follow Christ, but your, your sense of assurance comes because you read the Bible a lot and you pray a lot. It's sort of Christ plus spiritual prowess. So you believe in Christ for salvation, but that belief is only ever held up for you because you have an ability to pray for a long time or you know regularly attend um, events or abide by certain moral codes and often this results in you comparing yourself with others and saying well i'm a lot better than that person that person doesn't even know what the letter of galatians is and it's sort of this christ plus spiritual prowess false gospel and it is a dangerously fine line between trusting in christ or trusting in your spiritual prowess, your ability to to sort of seem more spiritual than others. And that is, again, uh, not relying upon Christ alone for salvation. Though there are um, certainly places where, like Peter says, we confirm our calling and election by adding to faith virtue and virtue godliness, and we want to be growing in that. But that is not the gospel, and we are not um, seen more right in God's eyes by that. We are seen as perfect in God's eyes by Christ alone, by the work that he has done on the cross. That is the gospel. And the biggest issue with both of these examples, whether you have a Christ plus self or a Christ plus spiritual prowess, is both of these are a self-centered spirituality. See, in either of these examples, whether the Christ plus self or Christ plus spiritual prowess, you end up looking inward rather than outward. You end up looking inward for your sense of assurance. You end up looking inward for your sense of justification. You you turn away from the gospel, which causes us to look outside of ourselves, and you end up turning inside to yourself. So we are in constant need of reminding ourselves that we stand before God as blameless Because the blood of Christ has cleansed us and the life that we now have is is totally in Christ. And to add or subtract from that in any way is to turn away from the gospel. Now, the second issue for us is not believing in the authority of the messenger. Uh, We live in a post-truth society and the the main idea of that is that we elevate feelings over truth. So if we don't feel like something is right, um, then it's not right. Uh, it's, it's, um, the water we swim in. So we are all affected by this. So when we hear a piece of news, we are very influenced by how we subjectively feel about this, the message. So just imagine like for the majority of the population, if, um, someone, someone very well known was to give a big piece of news. Let's say, imagine if like someone like Donald Trump gave that news or Greta Thunberg, I think I've pronounced that name right. And, and just imagine how people would hear that same piece of news delivered from Donald Trump or this young inspirational girl. Um, yes, questionably, but um, for the example it stands, uh, our feelings are going to affect how we actually listen to that message and what we are willing to take in as truth. We are increasingly unable to hear a piece of news, weigh it up as to whether uh, you know it is right or wrong. We're very much driven by feelings. It's not always wrong to follow feelings, but the the issue in this for us is that often... We place our feelings as the um, arbiter of right and wrong. We place ourselves as the judge over the word of God. So when we come across difficult doctrines, we place ourselves in the position of God and we judge whether whether it is right or wrong based on whether it initially feels right to us. Just like the Galatians being led astray by false teaching as they question the authority of the message, we can easily fail to uphold the Word of God as the Word of God. So we might say that we believe in the authority of Scripture, but are there times where maybe your own authority is elevated above the authority of the Word? I think this comes down to if we find ourselves coming across challenging passages and kind of Thinking like this just doesn't feel right to me. A lot of the time, people will say, Well, that's just not the God whom I worship. And what they're saying is, That's not the God I want to worship. That's a different God. My my feelings are going to judge what in the Bible is right and what is wrong. And if this is the case, then you may simply hold your self given authority above the authority of Scripture. You become the final judge of what is right and wrong. And there are just too many of us who engage in this form of salad bar Christianity where we pick and choose what we want from the message of God. And as we will see the message of the gospel, the word of God that we see in Galatians is not any man-made invention. And so we have no right to question its authority. We submit to the word of God. Now, these are the two issues. Um, Just as we uh, draw eventually to a close, I want to look at the background of the Galatian churches and then finish after that with Paul's introduction, how that sets the scene. In Acts 13, we read of uh, Paul's first missionary journey. Um, He goes to Antioch. Um, And then he is, uh, they're actually sent out from the Antioch church. And then he arrives at another Antioch called Antioch in Pisidia, which is in modern day Turkey. And this is where a lot of people would know Paul gives a very famous sermon, a very powerful sermon in a synagogue. And after that sermon, there are effectively a bunch of people that believe and are interested in hearing again. And then there are some people who don't believe and want to stir up trouble for Paul. So the Jewish crowd begin reviling Paul at his message. And so he basically says to them, right, you're judging yourselves unworthy of eternal life. I'm going to turn off to the Gentiles. And uh, the people um, who believe then, we read at the end of Acts 13, that they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And these people who are rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord probably were some of the first converts in the galatian churches that we read about here Uh, but as more people believe in the word then more persecution comes so basically the scene here is that as paul and barnabas enter into galatia there is a combination of more people believing and rejoicing and along with that there is more persecution more stonings more rivalries, and that just continues the whole way through. Even to the point where in uh, Acts 14, we kind of get a picture of how fickle these Galatians are, because in Acts 14, he comes to Lystra and he preaches to Lystra. He actually ends up healing a man there. And the people basically then say, wow, Paul is a god and they start worshiping Paul and um, Barnabas as gods and Paul and Barnabas tear their shirts and they say, we are preaching a message that is telling you to turn away from this kind of idolatry and to turn to the living God. And so at, at this point, you see the people really revering Paul and Barnabas. And then just a few verses later, we read that some Jewish people came in and stirred up the people and persuaded the people not to believe in Paul, and then all of a sudden they try and stone Paul to death. You just see one moment rejoicing, thinking that Paul is a God, the next moment they are killing him, and Paul is left for dead. And this is uh, a picture of us, of the environment that the Galatian church was birthed out of. These are the kind of people the kind of environment that the Galatian churches um, are born out of. And the Galatian churches are a bunch of churches in that big region. So there was severe opposition, fickle people. But in the midst of this, you have genuine people who have turned away from idolatry and who are following Messiah Jesus. So you can imagine um, all that Paul has gone through to see these Galatians come to the obedience of the faith, literally to the brink of death. I mean, they thought he was dead after they stoned him. He's been through a tremendous amount. And then they turn away from the gospel. And I can only imagine, I mean, I haven't been a pastor for that long, but I can just imagine how terrible it would be to me to have some of you turn away from the gospel. Um, After spending so much time together, it would just be the most heartbreaking thing to see someone turn away from uh, the truth in Jesus Christ. And um, this had happened to Paul. So this naturally sets the scene for quite an emotional letter to these churches. Now, let's finish with just the introduction. If we look at the text in Galatians 1, 1 to 5, three quick things to point out. Paul starts, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God, the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul has God-given authority. Paul is not giving his own opinion. He's not giving a simple opinion on the gospel. He's not preaching of his own authority. He's preaching on behalf of God. He's speaking on behalf of God as an apostle directly from God. Secondly, there is no thanksgiving here. Paul means business. So in every, almost every other letter that Paul gives, there is some form of thanksgiving. Uh, like he thanks the Thessalonians um, because the word of um, Christ is ringing out through all of Macedonia. Um, he thanks all of the churches after he gives his salutation, which is just the greetings. There is no thanksgiving in this letter. There's no, no little like, oh, I, I, I thank you for the initial faith that I saw in you there's no thanksgiving there it's just straight into I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ this is the most heated and pointed letter that we have in the Bible and thirdly Paul's salutation gives the emphasis of this letter. So even the terms, common terms that Paul uses, like from verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father. What is grace and peace? These are terms that that the New Testament authors use um, in their salutations, which is, we don't really use salutations all, but it would be like if I wrote a letter to you and said, dear Andrew, That's kind of the biggest salutation that we might give, but they were a lot longer back in um, the New Testament times. Um, Grace and peace in this greetings to the people. Grace and peace are full of theological meaning. The gospel Paul preaches is one of grace, which is a gift. Grace is a gift. We are saved by grace alone as a gift from God. And that gift gives us peace. Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith in Christ, we have peace with God. Grace comes as a gift. We don't deserve it in any way. It is a gift. And that gift gives us peace with God. This is what Luther was waiting for in all those guilt-ridden years. And what so many of us who are wrapped with guilt have, we are waiting to have peace with this holy God. And that only comes about through the sacrificial work of Christ, our our trust in his complete ability to pay for our sins and reconcile us to God the Father. So when Paul gives his greetings, it's a grace and peace. It's not just a throwaway term. It is full of meaning that will be unpacked in the letter. Paul goes on to say the one who gave himself, so verse four, who gave himself for our sins. This is why Luther loved the book of galatians he knew that we were infected by sin he knew that there was this disease of sin Um, often the problem with our like the biggest difference between our context and the context of um, luther in galatians is a lot of people realized that christianity was a moral religion they knew that they were immoral they felt short uh, they fell short of that Uh, The difference is now most people don't think there's anything wrong with them. We don't really have any sin. Why would God not be pleased with me? This is how I was born. Um, That makes it very difficult to grasp the gospel of Christ if you think very little of your sin. Uh, That's the the fundamental difference between our day and this day. But nevertheless, uh, Luther knew that we were infected by sin. But the church had taught him that the way to remove this sin was to live a life of confession, service, sacraments, partaking in them to eventually be cleansed. But this teaches us the only way for our sins to be forgiven, as Paul says, just in these few words, who gave himself for our sins. That is the only way that we can be forgiven in someone giving himself For our sins, in Christ delivering himself for our sins, on our behalf, through the atoning sacrifice. This is how we are justified, Christ crucified on our behalf. And why is that? The next few words, to deliver us from the present evil age. We will see for Paul, going back to the flesh, turning away from the gospel is like turning back to this place of the flesh where you cannot please God. You're turning away from the gospel. Christ died to deliver us from this present evil age. We've been rescued from this present evil age. And I wonder if for us, a part of this realm of of the flesh that we kind of go back into is this place of just sort of monotonous routine, the monotonous routine of, of Christianity, of doing these things. And subconsciously we're thinking, well, that's why I'm a Christian. But that is not why we're a Christian. We're a Christian because we trust in Jesus Christ. We trust in the fact that He hung there on the cross and He died for our sins in our place. And now we have peace With God, that is why we call ourselves little Christ. That is why we gather. And so the warning for us is don't turn back to this place of the flesh. Don't turn back to this life of just monotonous Christianity going through the routines. Don't turn back to it. It's dangerous. Come back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be renewed and refreshed in it.